We are going to today to finish off our series that seems to have gone on for a long time uh, on spiritualized, but this will be the last one. Okay, so I'm going to do a quick recap on where we are. We've been looking together at this verse for our battle is not against flesh and blood. And we've been trying to unpack really what that means. And I hope by now that you will have understood a little bit more than when we started this series a long time ago. Uh, all the sermons in the series are online, so you can check them out if you missed any from the website. Uh, but do, uh... but we're saying, what does this verse really mean? And in the Bible, the Bible talks about two realms. There's a spiritual realm and a physical realm. And in the, the Hebrew, it talks about the Elohim, who are the spiritual bodies. God is Elohim. Angels, demons are Elohim. And our fault, when we die, our spirit that goes to be with God is Elohim as well. It's a generic term that means all those that inhabit that spiritual realm. And we, in, we know in the physical realm, we have humanity and the animals and everything else that we see around us that God created. And he said to us this one thing, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be my image, basically, throughout the whole world. Go and be my image. Be, be me to other people, to, to the world in which you inhabit. So be fruitful, multiply, so that there'll be plenty of you that can go and then effectively bring harmony between the spiritual and the physical world, between the, the, the two realms that we just spoke about. Be my image and bring that unity between those two, where they enjoy one another, where there is peace with one another. But as we know that we decided we wanted to do it our way, and it happened first in the spiritual realm. It talks about it in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. It talks about the spiritual realm. Some of them said, no, we don't want to do God what God wants us to do. We want to do it our way. And they fell from, from heaven. They, they, pride got in their heart, which is pride comes before the fall, right, as we say. But they got in the, that pride came in and said, no, I don't want to take orders from God. I want to be the one giving the orders. And God said, get out of my presence. And in the physical realm, we did the same thing with the story of Adam and Eve with the apple, right? We just said, we're going to do it our way, God. We don't want to do it your way. Even though you said, don't touch that, we went, forget it. Just because you said it, we're going to do it, right? We were the same when we were kids, weren't we? When your mom or your dad said, don't do something, what went through your head? The very opposite, right? It's the same. The terrible twos, and it carries on into adulthood. Same thing. Do not walk on this grass. What goes through your head? This is the best piece of grass that ever existed, and I have to walk on it. Sometimes you get away with it, and sometimes you don't. But the same thing happened. There were consequences. In the spiritual realm, it talked about the Nephilim, and we talked all about that. In the physical realm, uh, there was Babel, and we said, we're going to bring God down to where we want God to be. We're not going to go throughout the world. We don't like that. We want to stay where we are, build a city, and God, you come down. You meet with us when we want you to meet with us, and you be under our control, not us under yours. And God didn't like either of those plans, and so he sent the flood, and he sent the languages. And God then said, raised up his own people. Because when we turned our back on the world, 
there were consequences to that. And God said, okay, if, because I love you, because I will let you go if I need to let you go. So he said, okay, then these fallen Elohim, these fallen ones that turn their back on me, they're just the same as you. So you can, you can link together. And what happened was that God said the whole world will be under their control except one thing. In Deuteronomy uh, 32, verse 8, he said, I will, I will raise from my own a nation. I'm not going to allow the whole world to be covered in spiritual darkness. There needs to be a light. And I will build the light. And the light will be the people of Israel. They will be my chosen people. And through Abraham and through Sarah, I will build this nation. And that nation will come and it will show everybody what the light is. So that if you, if you picture our globe, it's like the whole world is in spiritual darkness except for that one place where there was supposed to be spiritual light. But we know through the pages of Scripture that the people of Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't follow God either. And they said, we we'll want to do it our way and not your way. We want to have our own human king. We don't want you to be our king. We want to do what we want to do. And they got into a big mess. And they kept on coming back to God and asking for forgiveness. And God said, you know what? For my plan to work... I need to do two things. One, I need to send, I need to find someone who will be obedient to what I've asked them to do. But the problem was that they looked at Pastor David and they went, he's not obedient enough. And they looked at Reg and Elizabeth and said, they're not obedient enough either. And Brian and Pauline, on, and he looked at all of us and he went, you know what, can I find the perfect person who is obedient, who will do what I asked them to do without messing it up? And we all have to go, but that's not me. I don't do that. Because my own agenda keeps getting in the way. And so God said, well, then I'll have to send myself because I am the only one that can fulfill whatever that needs to be done. But also, he said, I need to send someone to rescue all those people who are now separated from me because... Well, as, as Romans says, the wages of sin is, is death, is separation from God. And when we mess up, what happens is that we, we distance ourselves from God. He never does from us, but we do from Him. And, and our sin gets in the way, our mess gets in the way, the brokenness gets in the way. And God said, I need to find a way back for those people. And we've talked all about this, so He sent Himself. Jesus Christ. And Jesus had to go to a cross because on the cross he took your sin and my sin. He didn't take his own sin because he didn't have any. Because if he did, he would be where we are, but then he couldn't come back to God. But he took your sin and my sin on himself. Our brokenness, our mess, our mistakes in life. Our not measuring up to God and what God has asked us to do. He took it all. And so he came and he died on that cross and we put him there and also the spiritual realm put him there. And he, and he prodded them until they stuck him on that cross. And then he said those amazing words, Ted Alesta, it's finished. It's done. I've, I've got the sin. I've been perfect. I've fulfilled the mandate that God had for humanity. But I've also taken on them all that mess, and I've come to be where they are. Now I can bring them back and show them a new way.
It's done. It's, done. it's forgiven. It's Amen. Isn't that amazing? That's grace, right? That is grace. That you cannot do it. I cannot do it. No matter how hard you try, no matter what works that you do, no matter how much you think you can please God, you can do nothing except accept what Jesus Christ has done. He said, you're, you're over here. You're in a mess. God's over there. But through Jesus and what he's done for us, if we accept that, if we say, Lord, yeah, I know I can't do anything. I can never be good enough. I've already messed it up. But because of what you've done, I can come with you to be where you are. That's grace. That's what Jesus did for you and for me and for the whole world. And then he said, it's why he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, no other religion promises that. Other religions say there's, there's balances. It's, you have to try and be good enough. And if you're good enough, if, then if you reincarnated, you might come back something slightly better. And gradually you can work your way up to trying to get to where God is. And Christ says, no, you can't because you'll never be good enough. Or in other cases, uh, there's a scales, and he says, well, if your good outweighs your bad, then God will grade you like that and, and suddenly accept you. And it's like, no, he doesn't, because you failed in the job that he's given you to do. We've all got a big F against our name until we meet with Christ. But when we meet with Christ, he goes, it's not an F, it's an A. Come with me. Because I've taken the exam for you. Look at my paper. It's perfect. 100%. Come with me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come except through me. That's why we follow. That's why we believe. And so he went away. And he said, it's better I go away because if I don't go away, I can't send the Spirit. And the Spirit came down upon all of us. And we said, where is the Spirit now? And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, you're a temple. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit is within you. Instead of there being just one little place in the world where the light was shining, it's now shining everywhere through you and me. He said, let your light shine. In Matthew 5, so that everyone can see. So instead of this, where there was darkness and one place in Israel where the light was supposed to shine, it's now more like this. Where you and me shine everywhere because the Spirit shines within us. And so right across the globe, there are lights. This is the Europe at night. But it's, it's like there are no dark places because everywhere there's a believer, there will be a shining light. Uh, right across the globe, and it will be burning bright because the Spirit is within us. That's where we got up to in our series, but I want to go one stage further today and look at what the end of the journey is. What is the end of this journey? What happens in the future? Where I told you is where we are now, shining out Letting our light shine across wherever we are, in our homes, in our communities, at our places of work, schools, wherever we happen to be. But what is the end of this journey? Where are we going with all of this? 
What is it that God has planned for you and for me at the end? Gates like that in heaven that you're going to go on on the clouds? Maybe it's going to be a little bit like this. That, you know, Reg will be there with a harp sitting on a cloud. I think the great composers probably do come together up there, yeah, along with everybody else that goes before. Well, that is not what the Bible says. That's a big no. You don't get wings. You don't have a harp. You don't get to, to do all of that. The Bible talks about something else. It really talks about a place where heaven and earth meet. You see, in the, in the book of Revelation, it doesn't talk about a heaven up there and an earth down here. It talks about heaven and earth coming together, where the spiritual and the physical finally are united in harmony. And within that, we have particular roles. But look at this. It says, Then the angel showed me a river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great city, street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The, Lamb of the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There is, will be no need, the light of this lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's a picture of a restored Eden, right? Trees and water and garden and paradise and all those things. That is where we're going. Not a broken world with plaster stuck all over it that we seem to muster here. But that will be transformed into a world where there is brilliant light. No need for the sun, no need for lamps. Because God will be here on earth, in the restored earth, on his throne. And heaven and earth will come together. That's what the end of the book of Revelation says in Revelation 22. But then what is our role? Where are we going in all of this? What is our role? Well, we're going to look today at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. At the end of each of the seven letters, it says these words, to him who overcomes or to him who is victorious. In other words, to those that, that go to heaven, this is what God says is in store for them. Do you know what you're going to be like in heaven? Do you know what heaven is going to be like? Let me tell you what the Word says today. So we're going to quickly go through the seven letters. The first one is this. The church of Ephesus. It says these words. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious or the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Now, what's the tree of life? Anybody? You're going to work today. I'm going to ask you a question. What's the tree of life? Think back to Genesis. Hmm? 
It, it's a trunk with branches. Well, that, that doesn't narrow it down apart from that. Most trees are like that. Okay, what's the tree of life? What was it? The one with the apples on it. No. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And Adam and Eve took from that tree, and then they became like God. They knew the difference between good and evil. And he said to them, you must not eat from the tree of life, because if you eat from the tree of life, you will never die. It's the tree that gives us eternity. And so he threw them out the garden, and he put the seraphim there, and he said they're not allowed to eat it. But in Revelation, when we come to the end, what happens? We get to eat from the tree of life. So what does that mean? It means we live forever. That there will be no end. When you go to be with God, you live forever in where? In the paradise. What does paradise mean? It means a garden, the garden of God. That's what paradise means. So you get to eat. We get to live for all eternity with God. Next one. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be heard at all by the second death. What's the second death? This is the letter to Smyrna. Anybody know? The second death is judgment. Revelation 20 calls it the second death. When we die, when anybody dies, you stand before God. It's called the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. Everybody stands before God. Let me read you what it says. Revelation 20. It says, And I saw an angel coming down out of... Uh, sorry. A bit further down. Uh, verse 11. Then I saw the great white throne and him who is seated on it. That's God, right? The earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and all in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead and all that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he has done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. When we die, when the end comes, we will stand before God. And when we stand before God, we will be judged. There is a book that God writes, and in it contains everything that you have done, every thought, every action, every word, everything. And the judgment will be on whether you have done what God has asked you to do. He is the one that sets the bar. He is the one that sets the rules. He is the one that says, this, this is what I've asked of you. That's why we're doing this series. Have you been my image throughout the world or not? And he will open the book. But what about those who are believers? Believers in Jesus Christ, the one who is victorious, believers who die will not be hurt. Why not? Why won't we be hurt? Why won't we be judged? Romans 8, verse 1. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What do you mean we haven't lived it? When we die, this is what's going to happen. Everyone will be judged, but believers who are judged do not need to fear. Because we're not judged on us, we're judged on Christ. We're judged because Jesus has forgiven us, hasn't he? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. How much of your sin does God remember? How much? Nothing. He doesn't remember your sin because it's been dealt with where? On the cross. You are free, right? Amen? That is grace. It's not that I don't mess up, but that my mess has been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ so I can stand before God and I will not be not guilty. That's a double negative. Because I know that I am. But I am forgiven. Not because of my own righteousness. Not because of what I do. Not because I'm better than anyone else, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the cross. That for God so loved the world that he came, everyone who believes in him may not do what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Because he's forgiven me. When I come every week and I say, God, forgive me, what am I doing? I'm just reminding myself of what he's already done. When I stand before God, he won't say, oh, David, my days, what a disaster. What will he see inside of me? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes? What does 1 Corinthians 6 that we just read say? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So when God looks at you, what does he see? You? Or does he see himself? He sees his spirit, and he sees what Jesus Christ has done. So we don't have to stand in, in the trial room feeling guilty, feeling, my days, what's going to happen? Am I good enough? Am I not good enough? What's going to go on? We just say, hey. I know Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. I have no excuse, but I have him. And God says, come, come. Because that's, I am the way. There is no other way except through Christ. That's why we need Christ. Don't stand there and say, I've been in church my whole life. That'll do you no good at all. Don't stand there and say, I was leading worship at Trinity Church for the next 120 years. That'll do you no good at all. The only thing that will help you will be, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know Jesus, and he knows me, because he'll be right next to you. Third one, to him who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. 
I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So when you get to heaven, you'll have eternity with him. You don't have to worry about the judgment. You'll go through judgment, but you don't have to worry about it because he will automatically say those amazing words, well done, my good and faithful servant, not because of you, but because of who you know, Jesus Christ. Then he says, I'm going to give you hidden manna. What's manna? Food, right, that came down in the wilderness. Do you remember the manna from God? Jesus said, I have manna that you don't know anything about, hidden manna. It means spiritual food. He's going to give you that spiritual nourishment in heaven that we all continue to need. But he's also going to give us a stone with a new name written on it. And that stone was the high priest. When he went into the Holy of Holies, do you know what he wore on him? He had this kind of long tunic. Oh, thank goodness I'm not a high priest. I would look like a turban, the whole works, right? But then on him, he had this ephod, it was called, like a breastplate. And on the breastplate were 12 stones. And on each stone, do you know what was written on it? See if you can guess. The names of tribes of Israel. And where were they? Right here, next to his heart. And he would go into the Holy of Holies, and it would be like a symbol of him taking into God's presence the nations, the tribes, the people, their names, who they are. And there would be that intimacy with God. So when God says, I'm going to give you a white stone, I'm going to give you a new stone with, with a new name written on it, a new name, a new role, we're going to talk about that in a minute, known only to the one who receives it. He says, that I'm talking about intimacy with God. You're not just going to go to heaven and God's going to be over there and you're going to be somewhere over here. You're going to go to heaven and have intimacy with God and He with you. There'll be no distance between you. Gets even better. He says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give what? Authority over where? 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 The, nations. the nations. Who has authority over the nations right now? The fallen Elohim. When God turned his back on the nations, he said, the fallen Elohim, that's where they went. They have the authority right now. But in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth, who gets the authority over the nations? Do you know? You and me. Believers in Jesus Christ. They are done away with. They are removed and thrown into the lake of fire. They are removed. And he says, I'm going to raise up my believers and they will be the people. And I will give them such an authority. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and they can dash to pieces like pro What he's saying is there will be no opposition to their rule because all opposition is done away with. And just as Christ rules, just as he received authority from the Father, we get that authority from him. And we will be ruling the nations. It will be the complete transformation, the undoing of everything that was done in the fall in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 and in our fall in Genesis 3. It will all be restored, returned, transformed when we go to meet with him. And he will also give that one the morning star. What's the morning star? 
Jesus is the morning star. Jesus says, I am that. I am the one. I am that morning star, says it in Revelation. We get Jesus to be with us for eternity. Talks about it also in Job 38, that messianic rulership that comes when you know Christ. Let's carry on quickly. The one who is victorious like them will be dressed in white. What does that mean? Pure and holy, right? Like Christ. Christ, when he was transfigured, he was dressed, it says, in dazzling white. That'll be like you and me. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But look at this. Will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. You know what he's going to do for you? He's going to do this. He's going to take them by the hand, and he's going to lead you before his Father's throne and before all the angels and everybody that's there in heaven and say, this is my most amazing daughter. And I want you to acknowledge who she is. Isn't that incredible? That God would do that? I mean, I would be happy just to be like a door person. Thank you. You know, just looking my head around the corner would be enough, wouldn't it? But no, 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 no. Jesus is going to come and grab you by the hand and take you before the throne of God. And he's going to say, hey, I want you to recognize my daughter or my son. I want you just to see who they really are. We'll be in bits, I think. Except there's no crying up there. But that's what God said he's going to do for those who stick with him to the end. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. What does that mean? Well, look at the pillars. What would be happen if we took the pillars out? It would collapse, right? The pillars have been here as long as the roof has been here, right? You take these pillars out, we'll have outside service, right? And he said, I'm going to make you a pillar. In other words, you're going to be there so much. You're just going to be resident there. You're going to be part of the building, part of what it's all about. Never again will they leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, Jesus said. Now, what's all this about names? Names are about the character. When you say Pastor David to someone else, you're talking about my character. Pastor David did this. Pastor David did that, right? You're talking about who I am. It's about me when you talk about me. Hopefully in prayer rather than in gossip, right? So God is saying, I'm going to write on them my character. And the character of my place, my presence, where I live... And I'm going to write on them the new name that Jesus has. Why does Jesus get a new name? What do you think? Jesus will have a new name in heaven. Do you know that? 
You know, you know, like where he changes Saul to Paul and Abraham to Abraham and all these things. He keeps changing that. Why? Because it's about what they're going to be doing. What does Jesus mean? Savior. Jehovah saves. Doesn't need that name in heaven anymore, does he? Because he's already done. Sorted. So God said, I'm going to give him a new name that goes with his new role in heaven. And you will have a new name because you'll have a new role in heaven. But he said, I'm going to write on there my character, my new name, who I am in heaven, the authority and everything else that's known only to Jesus. But you're going to have that character written on you. Amazing, right? That's why we're going to be transformed when we're in heaven. And he says, the one who is victorious, I will give the right. Look at this. He says, I give the right to do what? Sit with who? With Jesus. Where? On his throne. Jesus will not only just stand you in front of the Father. He will say to you, come with me, and you can sit upon my throne with me. Just as I was victorious, and I sat down with my Father on his throne. This is what awaits us. This is where we're going. If you're not moved to tears when you think that Jesus is going to take you by the hand and sit you on a throne next to him, there is something wrong with you. I say that in all humility. When I read this in the week, I was a mess. I was saying, like, how, how can that be? How can Jesus take me and sit me on the throne with him, on the power seat with him? How can that be? Because I look at me and I look at Christ and I go like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to so much as gather up the crumbs under your table. And yet you're going to sit me with you on the throne? That's crazy. But that's what he promises to you and me. You want to know where you're going? This is where you're going. Why do we work now for Christ? Because we know where we're going. This is what it's all about. What's our role going to be in heaven? First, what is it? Eternal life. You've saved the rest. Second, But what about judgment? We don't have to fear judgment because of what Christ has done for us. Thirdly, he said, I'm going to give you a new name, a new stone, a white stone. I'm going to keep you in my presence. Fourthly, he said what? I'm going to give you a, do you know what that is? Scepter. What's the scepter all about? It's about rulership. The queen, the king, has a scepter when they become monarch. 
What does he mean? He said, I'm going to, you're going to rule the nations. You're going to be sitting there ruling the nations on my behalf with fairness, with love, because you'll have the character of God. You will be my image, finally, in fullness. He said also what? Your name. I'm going to give you a new name. And he said, you know what? I'm going to acknowledge you before God because your name will be written in the book of life. He said, you're going to be a pillar in my house. You'll be part and parcel of what it means to be going on here. And you'll be there for all eternity. And lastly, he said, you will sit with me on the throne. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your destiny. Do you know that? This is what the Word says where you're going to be. This is where we go. We're going to light candles in a little bit, in a few moments, and have an opportunity to remember loved ones. If you know for certain, I mean, we never really know people's relationship with God, except by their fruits. But if you know for certain that they're in heaven, this is where they'll be. This is what they'll be doing. This is who they are now. And if you know Jesus Christ, if you know him in that intimacy of relationship with him, this is your destiny. Not because of us, but because of what God has promised to us. This is what we're called towards. But until then, our battle is against, not flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers that want to stop that. When we pray for people, when we talk to people, when we call people, when we encourage people, what we're trying to do is this. Whoops. This is what's at stake. Because non-believers get none of this. It says, to those who overcome, to those who are victorious. I wish it was true for every single person in humanity. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? It says to those who are victorious, to those who overcome, to those who follow, to those who have appropriated the relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what awaits. And why, why do we go out and serve? Why do we show the love of Christ? Why are we going to go and pray with people? Why are we going to encourage people into the kingdom? Why do we say, thy kingdom come? Because I want every single person to receive this, don't you? I want my children to receive it and my grandchildren to receive it. And I want my neighbors to receive it. And I want everybody in the street to receive it. And everybody in Harrow and in London to receive this. This is why we do what we do, right? Yes? Amen? This is our motivation. We don't go out there just to be nice. We go out there because this is what is at stake in people's lives. Jesus said, you've got, you got a gift beyond words here. It's good news. Give it to people. 
Let them know that if you follow Christ, this is what awaits. This is what God has done for you and for me. You can't get this by coming to church. You can't get this by any other way except a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, Lord, I know I'm not good enough, but Lord, I don't want to stand before you and be afraid. I don't want to worry whether I'm going to be where I am, what the future holds. I want, to, I want this. I want eternity with you, so I want to start with you right now. Lord, forgive me, receive me, and help me to grow in who you are. And Lord, help me to go out and tell other people who you are too, so that they may receive this too. It's what we do every time we take the bread and the wine. You know, one last time, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Every time we do baptism, every time we do communion, you know what you're doing? You're saying to all the spiritual forces, I'm telling you whose side I'm really on. I'm on the Lord's side. And I'm going to spend my life doing what he wants me to do for his honor and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve what awaits us. We deserve nothing. But you give us everything. You give us the right to sit with you on your throne. We, we don't have that right, but you do that anyway. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just inspire us while we're on earth to bring your kingdom. As we take communion today, we're saying to you, Lord, we're on your side. We have that relationship with you. And we're going to work to be your images everywhere we go so that your name may be glorified. We'll do it when, when it's received. We'll do it when it's not. But we want everybody to be with us in those heavenly places. We want everybody to stand before you, not in fear and trembling, but in joy because we are co-heirs with Christ. Your sons and your daughters, your brothers and your sisters. Inspire us, Lord. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.